Central Lancashire and I am here speaking to my colleague and, and friend now for a long time, uh, Chris Gertis, on his wonderful book out from Cornell called Mobilising Japanese Youth. Hi Chris, how are you today? Hi Bill, I'm fine, thanks. This is kind and of strange talking to each other like this. It, but, it uh, is. So, um, so I'm going to ask, the question I have, I've always wanted to ask you is, oh no. the last time I spoke to you before um, I heard you're writing this book. You told me I am going to be looking at uh, corporate governance, mm. and then all of a sudden I hear you're you're writing this book. So, tell me what happened. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I I wrote I, I came up with two possible book projects, uh, and I was really into this uh, uh, one on risk, uh, fiduciary risk, and uh, uh, marketing narratives that use history. Uh, and I, I worked it out pretty well, you know. I mean, I had a had a had a pretty good uh, uh, concept there. Um, and then I had this other proposal that I had really started developing in 2008 when I was um, on Fulbright in Japan, and and I was bored with it by the time we were talking, uh, which I don't I don't even remember. It must have been 2014 or 2015 uh, when I came back to the to the this mobilizing Japanese youth project. And and the reality is, is I got funding uh, to finish the mobilizing Japanese youth book and I didn't get funding to do the other one. So uh, uh, material reality bites and uh, I uh, I jumped at the funding and was able to go uh, first for a year to Berlin to work at the Rework Institute uh, Global History and uh, Life course at Humboldt University of Berlin, uh, and then followed on by a year um, back in Tokyo um, with a, with a, one of those Global 30 uh, Monkasho grants. Uh, and uh, it, it, that's, yeah, so that determined what I would finish. And how did you actually come across this subject and um, you know what what made you identify the 60s generation as mm. as something worth you know you're <laughs> going to spend what how many years three four years of your yeah, life right five, five years five there you go yeah um halfway to becoming a teenager there you go yeah yeah, yeah. well i mean way back in 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 the early 2000s uh, I got a, a, a nice grant from the Association for Asian Studies, the NIAC, the Northeast Asia Council, uh, to go spend a few weeks in Hawaii and look at the collection that Patricia Steinhoff has put together on the new left in Japan with all these donated materials that no one wanted to keep in Japan. No one in, no one in Japan wanted this stuff from the new left people. And so they sent them to Hawaii and, and now the collection's even bigger and even better. But but uh, so, you know, the, when I started first framing what the book would be, it was entirely about the new left. And uh, I was basically going to retell the story of the new left. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just no, no, just for sorry. people who are not who are not overly familiar with mm, you know right, Japan in right. the sixties, what do you mean by the new left? Uh, yeah, well, I mean uh, very much like uh, the sixties uh, everywhere else in the world that uh, largely uh, largely uh, you know the, the most the the most visible being the student movements of of the sixties, uh, the anti-Vietnam War movement. Uh, here, there's a huge movement. Uh, in response to the uh, increasing in fees and deduction or reduction of the student allowance, student support allowance. Uh, there's uh, serious concerns about 
governance structures within uh, universities in particular, because these are the institutions that young people of the of that generation are, are more and more interacting with a huge boom in the number of 60s generation you know, kids who who were uh, between uh, roughly 16 and 24 uh, in the late 60s. Uh, they're more and more going to university and so they're, they're interacting with old systems of hierarchy and and uh, uh, tuning into the global movements like uh, the Black Panthers in the United States, uh, Tupac Amaru, or, or you know, Shining, you know, Shining Path, and uh, there's 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 a, a there's a, a a real fascinating discourse to use a word of uh, these these young people who are in, engaging with these ideas. Uh, and and the, the, this is re reflected in the ephemera, the personal papers, the the book collections that that uh, Pat Steinhoff collected and has collected in Hawaii. Uh, uh, and you know it, this is great, but but you know it's well trodden territory. It's a story that has been told in Japanese over and over and over again. And and so uh, by 2015 or so, I realized uh, I had an existential crisis and, and had to reconfigure what I was doing. And uh, uh, the, 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 the purpose of the book for me changed. Uh, and uh, and I, I mean, I, 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 it's, it's a long story, but I, I'm happy to talk about it. But uh, it, well, it, started, it started out as a study of new left youth. Yeah. Right. And, 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 it, for anyone who's interested, Chris goes and and looks at the way that um, a new generation of right activists are aiming to, as his book says, mobilize Japanese youth. Yeah. Now, so the question is, how is the experience? Is this a generational thing where the younger generation is sticking to fingers in the end, saying, you know, to to the parents, you know, off you go on your bike. We're going we're going to change the world. Or is it something different in Japan? I think it's the era where the the notion of a generation uh, really solidifies. I think that the the first ideas of 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 the no, of of a concept of generation are written in the 1920s by uh, by a German sociologist and and uh, it, and I think he is observing. Uh, the phenomenon, uh, a post-World War One phenomenon, where all of a sudden an age cohort of young men are completely missing. And their absence, I think, uh, causes him to think in terms of, of how historical epochs uh, shape Different age cohorts, and and so we 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 move we move forward. This, this is uh, Karl Mannheim, and uh, and so by the 1960s, I think that it's the the concept of a generation has become part of popular uh, consciousness, and I think that 60s youth or those who are you know coming of age in the late 60s are you know predisposed to be thinking of themselves as a generation, and predisposed to think of them of a generation as a group of people that say up yours to their parents. And uh, I don't necessarily think that it, that's always been true throughout time. I, I, I think it's very much a, a, a phenomenon of the 20th century, uh, that there isn't necessarily a, a community of people who think of themselves as the, as the same age with the same, we wear the same jeans, we, we, we uh, use the same slang. Uh, we have to separate it from the individual lives of youth who 
are rebellious and want to tell their parents to, you know, stick it. Um, and then there's the larger social structures of how uh, uh, people operate. Uh, and this concept of generation um, uh, is definitely the strongest, uh, the strongest for the 60s generation. I'm not sure that age cohorts after the 60s generation have as strong a sense of generation as the 60s generation. And I don't think that age cohorts before the 60s generation had a strong sense of, co of, of collective identity. Uh, they may be the only generation in, in terms of uh, music, cultural forms, and, and sort of expectations about life. Uh, anyway, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of spitballing it there, but uh, it's it, it, these concerns are, are what 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 drove what drove the book. What, where did this cohort of 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 young people uh, get their political consciousness? Where did they get their sense of of cultural and political identity? Uh, and I I chose to look at at those who were not students. Um, you know, uh, blue collar workers in particular, or people who came from blue collar families uh, and, and even working poor families, uh, uh, their, their experience of life was really very different than your standard university student in the 1960s who had a very middle class life. And, 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 and one of the things I do is I try to unpack what, what does it mean to be a middle class youth in, in, the, in the late 60s? So. The, the, the thing I actually really found interesting about your book mm. is that, you know, 60s, um, the 60s generation in Japan is the generation that has no living memory of the war. Yeah, right. And uh, and then that becomes an issue, doesn't it? Yeah, it's one of the things that that it's one of the 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 characteristics of their generation. It's what, one of the things that shapes their consciousness is they have no some. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the what constitutes the, the the outer edge of the '60s generation are born right at the end of the war. Um, but but they're toddlers at the end of the war, and although their lives are shaped by the devastation that that's, that, that, that Japan ex experienced in the mid 40s. Uh, they did not specifically have strong memories of the war. Uh, and so I'm thinking in particular of the, 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 the leading edge of the 60s youth being born in 43, 44. Uh, they would be roughly uh, uh, within the, the, the age, age cohort of, of right around 1968. They didn't have the experience of, of the Pacific, the Asia Pacific War, but they, they did experience um, the Vietnam War from the perspective. And, and to a lesser extent, the Korean War, uh, that, that the Korean War was very much hushed up in Japan, uh, even though there's, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of American and Australian troops uh, recreating in Japan in between battles. Uh, public discourse up until 19, 1952, the spring of 1952, was very tightly controlled by the American military government of occupied Japan. Whereas in the late 60s, this, there's even larger numbers of American, Australia, and British troops wandering around Japan, recreating in between battles in, in Vietnam. And there's huge amounts of, of war material transported through Japan. And there's, there is rumors at the time 
of uh, Japanese companies actually assembling and manufacturing some munitions for this war. Whether true or not is 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 debatable. And one of the one of the big ones, of course, in the late sixties is is who's making the napalm that that's being dropped um, on uh, on Vietnam. Uh, and, uh, and and let's yeah. again let's put this yeah. in the context. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, no, well, I'm I'm going to ask you to put this in the context of why this is so shocking for someone living in Japan in the 1960s because yeah. of the Japanese constitution. Right. Yeah. And that that that's 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 the thing. I'm you know I keep putting the cart before the horse, but uh, one of the central tenets of the of the 1947 Constitution, Article Nine. Um, forswears the state's right of belligerence, which is largely uh, declaring that the Japanese state will not make war. Um, there are some provisions for defense that emerge, but they're extra constitutional and, and perhaps extra legal. Uh, the, the, the military alliance between Japan and the United States is fraught with problems, legal and cultural, because of the centrality of Article 9. The, the, in, in survey after survey after survey, the, 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 the Article 9 of the Constitution was overwhelmingly the most supported part of the Constitution. Uh, that you know, the, the Constitution establishes women's rights, it establishes intellectual freedom, it establishes the, uh, the right to a minimum cultured livelihood, whatever that means. Uh, that none of those are as debated uh, or as held centrally as Article Nine. This this forswearance of the of the ability to to make war, and nevertheless, alliance with the United States requires the Japanese government to be an active part of the Cold War. And this Cold War in Japan shapes the consciousness of the '60s generation, because when they're 16 or 17 or 18 years old, America has just escalated its war in Vietnam and they're dropping more bombs and sending more troops into Vietnam uh, under under uh, the Johnson administration uh, as these kids are hitting their 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 most formative years 16 to 24 when when their consciousness is being shaped and created and their identities are are emerging they're coming face to face with media representations of this this terrible thing um, that they, they, they didn't understand could happen. And they're beginning to see how Japan as a, as a place of um, um, uh, hundreds of thousands of American troops at the time is, is directly contributing to that war in Vietnam. Anyway, yeah. I, you know, I don't mean to- No, no, I mean, it, it's, it, it, that's what makes sort of Japan's indirect involvement, well, actually it's direct, but the Japanese considered indirect involvement yeah. in in the Vietnam War so fascinating because it does have all these reverberations um, within uh, the Japanese fabric. Now, what I'd like to draw everyone's attention to is if you go to go to a bookstore, just pick up the book and have a look at the cover. <laughs> and the cover is absolutely amazing. And I would like Chris just to explain what we are looking at and what makes it interesting. Well, yeah, I know my editor at, at Cornell found that image in a in a collection by an American photographer, uh, and it was it was a little expensive to license it, but I'm really glad that we did. Well, it, it's, well it's worth it's worth it because it's absolutely yeah, yeah. fascinating photograph. Oh yeah, it's a it's a collection of uh, I, I would say what between sixteen and twenty 
years old, uh, young men and a couple of young women um, uh, standing around on the street corner um, admiring uh, these motorcycles that a couple of young men are, 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 are sitting on. Uh, and, uh, you know, a couple have got some, some, uh, cool hairstyle and, you know, but, but by and large, they just look like typical middle-class kids, uh, especially the young women who've even got their little, uh, uh, hair scarves on, right? Um, and, uh, this is, this is, uh, this is not the student movement. This is not the new left. This is the overwhelming majority of, of youth who are not yet political they they don't yet have a political position they're surrounded in the late 60s by all this stuff and they're certainly not ignoring it but they haven't yet uh found the 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 uh uh the uh, the, the, the that moment of radicalization and may never find that moment of radicalization and so part of what the book does is explores some youth who who do not politicize uh, in the way that, that is expected, but are pursuing their new consumerist lifestyle uh, on, on motorcycles and in motorcycle gangs. And, 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 and which is seen as sort of dangerous to the fabric of the family because it yeah. seems like, yeah. um, you know, traditional Japanese values are sort of being undermined, which yeah. well, they're, they're is, is a wonderful shocking. way for me to lead you oh. into Tell us a bit, little bit about the Japanese Ship Promotion Foundation. Oh, I found this, yeah. I found this absolutely fascinating. Yeah, well, this is this is the stuff that had never occurred to me before. I spent a year in Berlin, and wandering around the uh, Berlin, uh, I was I was impacted by two architectural features: one very small and uh, one very big. Uh, the big one's Tempelhof, the, the airport, which was constructed by Adolf Hitler's architectural crews to be the modern airport in classic fascist architectural style. And, and um, the physical experience of that era and, and that type of architecture is really mind-blowing for a historian. Um, and, and maybe I was just ripe for that at the time. And I do tend to experience uh, uh, intellectual uh, moments like this, I, I, I did in, in 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 France back in my twenties as well. Uh, but for me, getting to Tempelhof and 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 seeing uh, the grand scale that fascism had in mind uh, started made made put me into direct dialogue with the rise of populism in the United States, the reemergence of the daughter of Le Pen. Marine Le Pen, uh, uh, the, the, the undercurrents of neo-fascist activity across Germany, the anti-immigrant movements in America, Germany, and France. And, and so I was, I was predisposed to begin to, to wonder whether it was 1931 for me, you know? I mean, am I experiencing this moment or not? And I'm happy to say that it didn't quite go that direction, though it's, it's certainly not great. Um, and of course, the the very small architectural <clears throat> thing that that I noticed everywhere <clears throat> is that in Berlin, um, it started as a community thing, but now the city um, puts brass markers, uh, pounds them into the the street um, um, at the addresses where Jews had lived who had been transported to the camps. 
and they're very, very small. And, and until you get down really close and read them, uh, they could just be a surveyor's mark, right? But here they are, testament to uh, one or two human beings who were disappeared from, you know, you could imagine that it was from this location because this is where their, where their home was. And I began to realize that, that big and small, uh, the, 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 the political mentality that, that we have um, really gets set in our, in our teens and 20s. Uh, and I um, started exploring uh, at the Rework Institute in Berlin uh, some of the sociological theory of, of Mannheim and, and talking is the, the Institute, the Rework Institute, it was a, a, a sociology of work institute that let a few historians in because they couldn't keep us out. Uh, and we had to have lunch together every week and we made lunch yes. for each other. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no accounting for taste. I mean, what yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, as I was thinking about the far right, um, I realized that I had been in a really unique position um, in, as a uh, an endowed lecturer at SOAS. Uh, the uh, Nippon Foundation very generously endowed um, uh, my position at SOAS for, and they paid uh, a portion of my salary for five years. And, and over those years, I, I was invited to the Nippon Foundation uh, many times uh, to have coffee and talk to staff and, and um, pick up their, their official histories. And the more I read, the more um, I realized that, that this was a powerful and influential organization in Japan that had been led from the very beginning um, by a man who uh, was an alleged unprosecuted class A war criminal. And what I mean by a, a alleged unprosecuted was that as I dug into the American evidence uh, in the war crimes tribunal uh, and evidence still held by the in the CIA files, uh, it was very clear that that the things that he would have been accused of, he did, um, and his his legal situation uh, as a war criminal was abated when the Americans set him free, along with a, a variety of other war criminals. Ah, alleged war criminals uh, uh, during the onset of the Cold War. Um, Someone has to fight for freedom, right? That's that's right. Well, that's right. That's they were let loose to combat the communists, as the as the as what what American uh, intelligence officers believe would be the communists' natural enemy, the fascists. Um, and uh, Mr. Sasakawa established this uh, uh, foundation in in the 1950s. Uh, and it was primarily there in the 50s to raise money for uh, helping Japan rebuild its shipping organization. The foundation received all of its income from motorboat gambling, uh, which he was granted the monopoly on. Uh, and uh, this is small ticket betting, incredibly popular amongst blue collar men. And this is this is a a, a, a transference of 
blue collar incomes, which are spent on uh, small ticket gambling, into the coffers of a foundation that then distributed the money to the first the ship manufacturers of Japan while they rebuilt Japan's shipping business. And then all of a sudden by 1960, Japan's shipping business is paying for itself and doesn't need philanthropy anymore. So Mr. Sasakawa goes to the, the, the parliament and receives permission to revise the mission of the organization to spread the money for domestic development. So small projects across Japan um, get paid for, um, and there's several big ones, um, but uh, and then also international for, or foreign aid. Uh, and it's not a small amount of money by, by its by its peak in, in, in 1993, uh, they were distributing almost a billion dollars a year. Um, it, 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 the, the Gates Foundation, which came up afterwards, uh, was neck and neck with the, Japan, the Nippon Foundation for several years in the 1990s. And now, you know, the Nippon Foundation doesn't have that kind of income anymore, but it certainly has tremendous amounts of influence. And Mr. Sasakawa in the 1980s uh, used a significant amount of his influence to direct a lot of that money to very conservative, uh, some very far right organizations. And uh, he very proudly um, uh, declared uh, his political leanings. Uh, he called himself to a reporter from Time magazine. He declared that he was the world's richest fascist uh, in, the, in the 1980s. And, and he had been a, a major force in the Taishuto, the, 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 the masses party, one of the, one of the fascist parties in pre-war Japan during the war. Uh, so, you know, and yet he is at the helm, literally at the helm of this philanthropic organization that is trying to shift the political consciousness of young people in Japan. And they do this by through these cruises, right? These so these peace cruises. By the 1970s, they're 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 sending these kids off on on uh, 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 maritime excursions, sail training, maritime training, uh, international tours. Uh, everything has a paramil paramilitary structure. Uh, this is one of his uh, primary requirements, both in his organization and for the people who participate with this organization, is that they have to drill, they have to understand basic military hierarchies, uh, and they have to be able to operate within them. And uh, it, it's, it's one of several uh, aspects of his social agenda. Uh, right. including a reliance on, on neo-Confucian uh, uh, educational systems. So. So, so so, basically what's happening is these students, are, um, these young children from what ages were they? Yeah, yeah. It, it, at first, I mean, at first the, it's teenagers, but, but later uh, the program expands into sort of a, a swimming pool and a sailing club program across Japan. And they build 800 swimming pools and marinas across rural Japan. And then they're teaching little kids uh, from, a, from a, a centralized curriculum uh, determined by the foundation. Uh, uh, the, the, the rudimentary structures 
of, of military order. And it's, it's important to understand that we don't have the Boy Scouts in Japan, right? We don't have compulsory military service. We have a very unpopular self-defense force and that the that that there is not an, an it's not a militarized society like america where as a kid by going into scouting i was being prepared for military service that's the the purpose of scouting i, I can never ever see you in the, i can't even imagine you in a boy scout's uniform to be honest yeah well you know i didn't last right it wasn't really my, my thing um, so, you know, I mean, Americans are, are uh, constantly being uh, barraged with uh, military uh, mentality and, and training in military. And then that just wasn't the case in Japan in the 1960s. Um, that the Cold War was, was something that Japan had to participate in, um, but individuals were not um, mobilized for the Cold War. But Mr. Sasakawa tried to mobilize them for the Cold War. And he, uh, he and his uh, colleague, Kodama Yoshio, uh, uh, established and funded uh, a, a new right military training camp. Uh, they gave speeches and they tried to uh, recruit um, the uh, the motorcycle gangs uh, into these far into these far right organizations, and it didn't go well, and and that's why I put them on the front cover. The motorcycle gangs wanted nothing to do with them. They didn't want anything to do with the left either. They they wanted to be left alone. They didn't want to be mobilized. Uh, and at at the end of the 1960s, there's 20 or 30,000 of these of these gang members. But by 1975, there's there's more than 50,000 gang members. It's an incredibly popular way of being, a way of living, uh, and uh, uh, which which is just me stealing from Ian Hacking. But it's it's really important to understand that so, all those. Yeah. So are they the Japanese Easy Riders? Are they? They are, but they're but but they're they're petty criminals. They're not major criminals. I mean, it's it's not like uh, Sonny Barger and the Hell's Angels, who who were straight away uh, deeply involved in the drug in the drug business. Uh, There's one gang that was very popular in Tokyo and 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 still very popular today, uh, the Black Emperors. Uh, uh, in the '60s and '70s, uh, forswar drugs. Uh, and hated the, the 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 mobsters, and hated the far right guys, and all they wanted to do was ride. So in that sense, it's the pure it's the pure uh, ride that you see in Easy Rider, where they're just going across country and out for the freedom without the biker bar. Though you know there, there's certainly an element of of uh, uh, the. Yeah bad behavior and, and asocial behavior, but but uh, they're incredibly polite. There's a terrific documentary called Godspeed You, Black Emperor, uh, and you get to see them operating, and, and they are just, they're good kids. Their only crime was that they're born to blue-collar families, and the police are predisposed to treat them like criminals. Uh, and and I go into this somewhat in in, uh, the, 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 a particular chapter, but it's actually something that Bill and I are working on right now. We're going to expand that research a little bit and talk about uh, this uh, this phenomenon of Bosozoku in a more global context. Well, that, that's another that's another that's another yeah. um, conversation. However, thank yeah. you for your time. I Thanks, hope Bill. our I really listeners uh, have um, 
enjoyed our talk and 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 seen sort of the the texture and and um, complexity and and what makes Japan interesting in in that it experiences and um, reacts to these global um, um, forces like this like this you know the, the 60s movement in a very unique way yeah, it uh, that that's both recognizable and yet different yeah that's right thank you i think you put it far better than i did uh, well I, I don't know if i put it better than you did I'm, I'm just sort of you know following your crib notes anyway thank you so much chris <laughs> Thanks, it's Bill. been lovely speaking to you as always and Thanks. um by the way chris is a really uh, when he was young he used to be a very um a keen sailor so I think he was born in Japan. He would have been very keen to join Sasakawa's group and 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 big, and, and live a life on the seas yeah. as a pilot. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, as a as a as a kid, uh, as a teenager, I actually did one of these programs uh, in the United States and and experienced experienced that kind of uh, mobilization. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and loved it. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know any better. I was a dumb kid. You're not. You're not supposed to know any better at that age. You're yeah. just supposed to love it. Anyways. Yeah lovely talking to you and um thank you to everyone for listening yeah thank you everybody i'm going to go ahead and click off now and uh, yep. keep talking to bill about other things bye everybody <laughs>